Amen. If you have God's word, let's turn to Philippians chapter four and looking at verse 11 together. And I want to make a mental note right here in the beginning that for Paul, this this was in the thick of ministry. I mean, quite a bit had had happened. A lot of water had gone on the bridge and he had been through a whole lot. And and so he had gained some knowledge and some experience. And then he makes this statement and it captures my attention. I invite you to listen to this as we think about the idea of contentment in all circumstances. In fact, that's the title of my sermon today, Contentment in All Circumstances. And here's what Paul writes in Philippians chapter 4, looking at verse 11. He writes, I am not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Precious Father in heaven, I thank you for your word today. I thank you for your anointing this morning. I thank you, Father, for this awesome worship and your holy presence. And Father, I pray that your will would be done, that you would anoint that one that just needs to be lifted right now. I pray for the one that maybe has been feeling a little bit lonely or by themselves. I pray, God, that you just bring comfort to them and fill their their soul with joy right now, Father. I thank you for that. I pray for those that are struggling financially. I pray for the one that needs an emotional lift. I pray that you'd lift them and bless them. So, Father in heaven, I thank you For your peace that passes human understanding, I thank you for the promise that there is this possibility in life that is not impossible, and that is contentment in you. And so we ask all these things in Jesus Christ's wonderful name, and everyone said, Amen and Amen. I love the wonderful story that Warren Wiersbe shares, and he talks about... How some people are like thermometers and some people are like thermostats. And, of course, the idea is as a thermometer, we're just responding and we're reacting to the environment and what's happening to us. But the thermostat has an impact. The thermostat is affecting the environment around them. And so in my sermon today, what I want to do is I want to ask the question, really answer the question, is what kind of Christian are we? Are, are we like the thermometer or are we like the thermostat? And so to do that, I want to delve into really two different areas as we look at this question. And, and, and they, they will deal with, of course, the situations of life that we wrestle with individually and personally. And these two areas will build our faith, make our faith stronger, and give a supreme assurance of peace and contentment. I mean, think about that for a moment. This assurance that is possible of, of, of peace and contentment in life. And, and that's something considering, you know, the state of man. I love this poem that I came across that, that kind of puts a point on it in regards to the state of man. And here's what the poem says, or here's what it reads. As a rule, man's a fool. When it's hot, he wants it cool. And when it's cool, he wants it hot, always wanting what is not. <laughs> so I guess... You know, really what the poem is, you know, pointing out for us, just as as Paul is trying to show us in regards to being content in all circumstances, that the way that we look at something, you know, the way that we perceive and and our perspective, it, it, it changes everything. I love this fun story that kind of illustrates perspective. In fact, it's a story of a farmer's donkey that fell down into a well, and the animal cried piteously for hours as the farmer tried to figure out what to do. And so the farmer, you know, put all kinds of energy and effort in trying to get the mule, you know, out of the well, and he just was not having any success. And then he stopped and he thought to himself, well, this is an old mule. 
So I guess I'll just fill up the well. And so he went to his neighbors and got some help from them and said, hey, bring your shovels. We're going to fill in the well. My donkey's in there. I can't get him out. And so it's kind of a horrific picture, but that's what they do is they begin to shovel dirt into the well. And you can hear the donkey crying because he was realizing what was happening to him. And they kept shoveling dirt into the well. Then all of a sudden, the, the donkey became silent. And so after a few more shovels of dirt, what did they do? They looked over the edge of the well and they noticed the donkey doing something. A funny thing is the donkey would shake his back and then he'd step up. So every time they shoveled a shovel of dirt in the well, he'd shake his back and step up. And so they continued to shovel dirt in the well and the donkey continued to shake his back and step up and shake his back and step up until finally the donkey shook his back, stepped up and out of the hole and trotted off. (laughs) The moral of the story is, you see, perspective, the way we look at something, it changes everything. And I think that Paul is trying to illustrate this for us. And in fact, in our message, there are two things that I want to highlight for you. One is that God is a God of peaceful providence. God is a God of peaceful providence. And number two, God is a God of plentiful substance. Think about that. And so what we're going to do is just kind of address that in some very specific ways. Well, first, I want to ask a question. How do we live a life that displays the perfect peace of God? Think about that for a moment. How do we live a life? I mean, as a believer, we're talking about contentment in all circumstances. How do we live a life that displays the perfect peace of God? I mean, a peace that produces contentment, that conquers every circumstance in life. I mean, this is kind of the idea that that Paul gives us. In fact, there are two things we're going to build on. And the first is the peace that Paul portrays here in verse 11. In fact, as I was building this, I thought to myself, if I was to call this a book, uh, the name of the book, the title of the book would be Crafting One's Contentment. Crafting one's contentment, because what Paul shows us, I believe, in all of his writings and his life is that there is a process by which he learns to be content in life. And in fact, in all the the ups and the downs of life and all the mountaintops and the valley experiences and all the hardships that there is this this crafting that was happening, that God was doing and making out of his life. And Paul was in the process of learning how to be content in all things. In fact, we know without any doubt that the apostle was a mighty example and a champion of God-sized contentment. Not only God-sized faith, but God-sized contentment. And that contentment that he had was not something that just fell in his lap. I mean, for the apostle, it was something that that was a process. It was something that, that God helped him learn in the experience of life, that he earned over a lifetime in developing what it means to live the Christian life and the ebbs and flow of that life. God used these situations to craft this man with a sense of contentment that would help him in any situation that he'd find himself in. So how do we do that? I mean, as believers, how do we really process the idea of contentment just like Paul has? Well, we have to identify what contentment is not. That's the first step. Make note here. Take notes of this. What contentment is not. Contentment is not complacency. You know, it's not putting it off. It's not saying, well, maybe some other time or some other day. Contentment is not complacency. Contentment is not ignorance. It's not, you know, pretending that the troubles aren't there or there are no issues that we need to wrestle with or deal with in our own lives or in our life, our our world, excuse me, or even in our culture. So contentment is not ignorance. Contentment is not inconsiderate, by the way. It doesn't mean that we put people second. 
and we push others aside. It's not to be inconsiderate. Contentment is, is not isolated escapism. I love going to the mountains and going on a hike. And it's very peaceful. And sometimes I'm very content when I'm on that hike. But you see, real contentment is not isolated escapism, you know, going to the beach and just having a a moment of peace. But contentment is the overarching reality of experiencing that peace and calm in the midst of whatever life throws at us. By the way, contentment is not feelings of supremacy like racism. I mean, that's a sin. It's not feeling that we are better than somebody else. I mean, that's not contentment. So what is contentment? How do we understand? Well, here it is. Simply, contentment is an inviting peace that offers calm in peace as we face the battles of life. I mean, as we face, I'm talking about the real hardships of life. That in the midst of those battles, that there is this anointing and there is this peace and there's calm that comes in. Because of the anointing that we have in Christ, you see, it is hope in the midst of horror. It is joy in the midst of jeopardy. It is grace in the midst of grief and chaos. And man, these are chaotic times. You see, Paul shows us that it was in the process of life that experiencing contentment was in the things that Paul experienced, which were extreme circumstances. I mean, if anybody experienced extreme circumstances in life, it would have to be Paul. In fact, that would be one of the names of the chapter in the book that I'm writing, and that is extreme circumstances in life. I mean, how do you experience contentment in the midst of all that? I mean, that's what Paul does. And by the way, Paul's contentment was not based on circumstantial well-being. It's not based on the fact that, you know, life was going the way that he wanted It was not based on the fact that, you know, everything had just lined up and things were easy for him. It was not based on that. It was not based on on material wealth or material gain. I mean, absolutely, Paul had hardly anything, if anything at all. And, And he certainly did not have wealth. And we understand that. And so contentment was not based on his material wealth. In fact, it was the very opposite for Paul. Paul had faced all kinds of heart, heart, heart. Hardship and heartache. And in fact, we go to 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and we look at verses 23 through 28. In fact, let's take a moment and let's turn there in in God's word. Let's look at that together. We go to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Take you a moment to find that. And uh, those that are online, those that are watching, those that are here. Let's just take a moment to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And we're going to be reading verses 23 through 28. I mean, this this is a powerful text, and it really kind of just puts us in Paul's shoes as we think about his life, how challenging it was. And let's read together again, 2 Corinthians 11:23. Are they servants of Christ? I'm out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the forty lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in the danger from rivers. I've been in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I've labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. 
I've known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked besides everything else. I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Ladies and gentlemen, if anybody knows about hardship, if anybody knows about the injustices of life, it would be the Apostle Paul. Man, he went through it. He's been down the river, as the old country boy would say. He really had and he knew what it meant to be abused. And so we look at Paul, the Apostle Paul, and his life, and then we have to ask the question, I mean, honestly, does anybody really have it rough in America? Because, folks, we are so blessed. Amen. We're so blessed. In fact, I would say that in America, that our worst day could very well be better than the best day in most places on earth. Because we are so blessed. I'll never forget when my wife went to uh, Guatemala. And she was on a mission trip, and later on I joined up with her. She had spent the day, I think three days, in the city dump where there are 5,000 homeless children trying to find food in the garbage. And bulldozer there turning over their, their what they would call their housing. And I remember arriving and, and my wife welling up with emotion because of how blessed she was and how unfortunate they were. And then on the other end of the spectrum, I remember going to Zambia and planting new churches. And while I was there, visiting families in just little thatch huts and, and, and dirt ground. And they had it all packed down and they had their dirt swept clean. The children were dressed to the tees. Folks, they were the most happy people on the planet. I recognize that we are blessed. I have to share this quote with you. I mean, this is a game changer. Listen to this. It is a rare person who, when his cup frequently runs over, can give thanks to God instead of complaining about the limited size of his mug. (laughs) I love what I heard somebody say the other day. We were talking about leadership or something and how some people, they just always see the glass half empty, right? You know, there's some people that just always see the glass half empty. And my friend, it was Tim Fessler, actually, he said, well, give him a smaller glass. (laughs) I love that. Because perception or our perspective, excuse me, not perception, but our perspective. I mean, the way that we look at something, it, it makes all the difference in the world. In fact, compared to people in history, man, we have it made right now. I mean, think of the idea that we have a a heat pump and energy-efficient storm windows. Julius Caesar didn't enjoy that. Or the fact that entire nations trembled before Alexander the Great, but he couldn't buy dog food in bulk, and he didn't have a Sam's Club card. And then Napoleon, he didn't have direct TV. Man, we've got it made. So, So why are we so unhappy? I mean, why, why are we, we, we always looking at other people and wanting more? You see, I, can, I have an answer. The enemy does not want you to be content. He is a robber of your contentment. That is the enemy. So it's important as we look at the Apostle Paul, we say, okay, how do we have contentment in all circumstances that we learn by the process of life of how to be content in all things? I, I love this list I came across uh, from another pastor, and he was making a list about things that he is thankful for, and it's really a really great lesson, and, and I want to share his list with you. Here's what he said. He said, I'm thankful for the taxes I pay because it means I'm employed. I'm thankful for the clothes that fit a little too snug because it means I have enough to eat, right? I'm thankful for the spot I find at the far end of the parking lot because it means I'm capable of walking. I'm thankful for the huge heating bill I just received. Because it means that I'm warm. 
I'm thankful for all the complaining I hear about our government because it means that we have freedom of speech. Amen. And then he says, I'm even thankful for the lady behind me in church who sings off key because it means that I can still hear. <laughs> now, remember, this was not my list. This was another pastor. And, and so what a, a great practice to learn how to be thankful and have a positive attitude, a good attitude, and have the right perspective, right? Because that perspective, it changes everything. And so Paul teaches us something, not only about being content in all circumstances, but he gives us helpful lessons that he he has learned. In fact, that's my second idea today, if you're taking notes, helpful lessons that he learned in Philippians chapter 4, looking at verse 12. Let's drop to verse 12 now, and we'll look at verse 12 and read, I have learned the secret of facing plenty, this is Paul, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, of abundance and need. See, this is the evident contentment of life chapter. (laughs) The evident contentment of life. And the key to the contentment, you see, that Paul knew was because of two things. One, he knew that it was a learned thing. He knew that in the process of life, in the ebb and flow of life, and in the ups and downs of life, that in the process of learning how to be content, that he was content in all circumstances and all things. That was the first thing. And the second thing that Paul would recognize is that that contentment comes from God. And that as the Holy Spirit comes upon us and that Spirit fills us and anoints us, that there is a joy that passes human understanding or peace, right, that passes human understanding, that only God can provide. And you see, that's what he's talking about here. This peace that only comes from heaven, that comes from God. And so he he talks about, you know, what he has learned from God and then the peace that God provides. And so I I come to this this statement this, this this morning. Happiness is not a goal to achieve. Listen to that. Happiness is not a goal to achieve. But it is something we find as we are seeking and achieving God's goals that he has for us. Let me say that again. Happiness is not a goal to achieve, but it is something we find as we are seeking and achieving God's goals for us. I love the story of an old dog that is watching a younger dog running in the circles, chasing his tail, Right? And, and, and finally, the younger dog got tired and he sat down and, and he said, you know, there's happiness in my tail. And if I catch my tail, I'll have happiness. Well, the older dog, the wiser dog said, well, son, I've caught my tail. And I've learned that there's not happiness in, 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 in catching my tail. It's in the pursuit of trying to catch the tail. There's happiness in the pursuit in the experience, in the process of, of learning about life. And yet sometimes it seems that people who, who have caught it in the game of life, they've caught everything that they've wanted. They've, they've gained it all and they have it all. And yet they're so empty and they're so destitute emotionally and spiritually. And it seems like their life is empty even though they've, they've caught and they've attained everything they've ever wanted. You see, Paul understood a few things. One, to fully understand God's providence in life. You see, Paul's example is that no matter what's happening in life, right? Because he had it all happen to him. I mean, he had been in the darkest valley and on the highest mountain. And Paul understood, fully understood, the providence of God. And that means that in the midst of life, when the pieces on the game board are being moved around, life may not be what we want or what we like. 
But God is still working things out. Why? Because he is a sovereign God and he's working things out for our good. In fact, Romans 8.28, we read, All things work together for the good of those who love God, called according to his perfect will and purpose. And see, the Apostle Paul understood this. And the simple idea that even though things may not look good, but God is working them out for his glory, for your good. In fact, I love a story I came across that kind of illustrates that dynamic. It's the story of a a king in Africa, excuse me, who had a close friend with whom he grew up. The friend had a habit of looking at every situation that ever occurred in his life as, as positive. No matter whether it was positive or negative, his friend, the king's friend, would say, oh, this is good, this is good. Well, one of the responsibility of the king's friend was that he would take care of his firearms for hunting. And one day when the king and his friend were out hunting, something went wrong with the ammunition and it blew off the king's thumb. And his friend said, oh, king, that's good, this is good. And the king looked at it with his, you know, thumb bandage up. He said, this is not good. Are you crazy? And then he sent his best friend to jail. He sent him to jail. He's there for probably a year, and the king went out hunting again. But this time when he went hunting, uh, his, his band, himself and his band, had got captured by, by a group of people that were cannibals. And the cannibals had tied him up, and they were getting ready to eat the king. They had the fire going, and he was all tied up, and they were going to, you know, have king for supper. Well, they noticed that the king's thumb was missing, and they were superstitious about eating something that was not whole. And so what did they do? They let the king go, right? And on the way back to his empire, the king got to thinking about his friend that said that this is good when he lost his thumb. This is good. And he thought, man, my friend was right. So the king goes back to the jail, you know, and he releases his friend and gets his friend out of the jail and said, friend, I'm so sorry. You were right. It was good. It saved my life. I should have never put you in jail. And the friend said, no, the jail, this was good. This was good. And the king said, how could jail be good? And his friend smiled. He said, if I was not in jail, I would have been with you when the cannibals had captured you. (laughs) This is just a fun way to really highlight that fact that all things were together for the good of those, you know, called according to God's perfect will and, and purpose. And, and that in the midst of it, there is the sovereign presence of a God that is mighty and holy, that is working for the good of our lives. And we are reminded of that. And this just is a fun way to be reminded of how Paul fully understood God's providence, that he is working things out. Paul also faithfully followed God's plan. In fact, say that with me. God faithfully, or excuse me, Paul faithfully followed God's plan. And, of course, contentment is what allowed Paul to, to follow the Lord. In fact, in Romans 8, 28, again, working things together for his good. And so this gave him a healthy sense of liberty. And so the apostle found a wonderful freedom in this liberty and contentment that allowed him to learn from the Lord and to not live in the land of the ifs or the whys. You say, well, pastor, what is the land of the ifs and the whys? Well, the land of if is, you know, if, you know, I get my my check or or if, you know, my marriage doesn't fail or or if I can pay my bills or if and we begin to live in the land of the ifs. Listen, now we live in the land of ifs. And if we do that, we'll never have contentment or in the land of whys or why, you know, do I have to look like this or why do I have to live this way or, or why was I born to this status and those people have this and I have nothing. I mean, you know, in the land of of whys in the land of is, we will never be satisfied. We'll never have contentment. In fact, I, uh, I love this quote I came across. If a person lets life make them into a victim, 
They will never find contentment. The victim wallows in anguish and self-pity and never finds contentment or fulfillment. (laughs) That's to live as a victim. Corey Ten Boom, who suffered the loss of her family and was imprisoned in the Nazi concentration camp, where she lost all her family, by the way, there in the concentration camps, she wrote this. She said, if you look at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within yourself, you'll be depressed. But if you look to Christ, you will find rest. (laughs) And you'll find peace. And you'll find fulfillment. And you'll find the hope that you're looking for when you turn your eyes to Christ and you look to Christ It's like the two men that came out of the fields and they had been working hard and they were parched and they were super thirsty and they went into the workhouse and there sitting on the counter of the workhouse were these two glasses with ice cold drops of water running down the sides. I mean, the kind of thick crystal glass that you couldn't see through. And the two workers went in and one worker grabbed a glass and he took a deep gulp and the water went down his throat and it quenched his thirst. And man, it was so refreshing and so perfectly cold. While the other worker grabbed the other glass and took a deep gulp and there was nothing there because the glass was empty and he threw the glass down in anger. You see, both of them looked exactly the same. They both looked refreshing. They both were tempting, but one was fulfilling and the one was not. Folks, the temptations of this world and the promises of this world are exactly like that. That may look good. But it will not be fulfilling and not be satisfying like Jesus Christ is. There's only one thing that is fulfilling, one thing that is satisfying in this world, and that is Jesus Christ. Only Jesus Christ really satisfies. Only Jesus Christ really fulfills us and give us, gives us everlasting hope. I don't know what you're going through in life right now, but I know this, that Jesus loves you. I know that Jesus wants to satisfy and he wants to quench your soul. He wants to refresh you right now. He wants to be a part of your life. So I want to invite you to just come to Jesus right now and say, Jesus, I want you to be a part of my life. I want you to come in to refresh me. Jesus, I want you to forgive me of my sin. Jesus, I want you to be my Savior. And folks, let me tell you this. Contentment will begin to soon follow. You want contentment in life? Include Jesus Christ in your life. And you'll begin to learn what contentment is all about. Yes, it is a process. It is a learning experience. But man, it is also the anointing of God. As you experience God to the full, to the max, when you experience God that way, contentment will become a part of your life because you're walking with God. I remember when I was about 11 years old, I asked Jesus to become a part of my life. I mean, for the very first time, the light bulb went on and I realized that I didn't just believe in God, but I wanted God to be a part of my life. And I wanted his son, Jesus, to come into my heart. And I prayed that prayer. Now, listen, before then, I'm telling you, before then, I had no direction. I had no purpose. I was redheaded and pink and, 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 and small. And I was a shrimp. And I had a self-esteem about that big. But man, all of a sudden, when I was 11, I invited Jesus to become a part of my life. And the Spirit of God came upon me and in me. And all of a sudden, I felt like I was 10 foot tall (laughs) because of what God saw in me, because of how he valued me. I felt like that I was important because I realized I was important to God. If you've not experienced that, You've not really realized that you have value, that you are important to God, and you've not been content for some time. I want to invite you, really, I'm sincere about this. I want to invite you to know Jesus. I want to invite you just to say, Jesus, I want you to come and be a part of my life, and and I want your contentment, Father. 
And I pray that, Lord, that you just speak to my heart and that you'd fill me right now. So, Jesus, I choose you. I want to invite you to pray with me like that. Precious Father in heaven, I thank you for answered prayer. I thank you, God, for your goodness. And I thank you, Lord, for your loving presence in this service right now. And, Father, we've been talking about what's it mean to be content and the process of learning how to be content in all circumstances. But, Lord, I know that the beginning place, the first step, the first square that we stand on is to have relationship with you. And so I pray for that one out there that's been listening, that one out there that's even thinking about this. I pray, Lord, that you would just speak to their heart and help them to respond to you right now and say, Jesus, I choose you. Jesus, I want you to become a part of my life. And I want to live a life that is called Christian because, Lord, I love you. I believe in you. And I believe and I know, God, that you will then fill them with your spirit. You will confirm that relationship with them, that you've written their name in the book of life. And then contentment will follow. So, Father, I thank you for hearing this prayer. I thank you, God, for answering this prayer. We ask all these things in Jesus Christ's wonderful name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for viewing our service. And thank you for attending. God bless you. Have a wonderful Sabbath. And we'll see you next Sunday.